Today's show is brought to you by Aptiv. Aptiv is a fabulous app and robust online community that allows you access to top-notch, motivating personal trainers who guide you through an audio-based workout that is timed to your choosing with fun, perfectly synchronized music. Like Netflix for fitness, Aptiv gives members unlimited access to their entire bank of high-end trainer-led workout classes. So if you're looking for fresh, high-quality, on-the-go motivating workouts that adapt to your lifestyle, I highly recommend Aptiv. In fact, if you head over to the curator playlists, you'll see a familiar face. I chose seven of my favorite Aptiv workouts so that you can get a well-rounded mix of workouts that will take you from intense cardio to restorative serenity. And these are some of my favorite workouts to do when I'm traveling or if I just have a spare 20 minutes between activities. And because they're the best, Aptiv is even offering Fed and Fit listeners a free 30-day trial when you sign up for monthly subscriptions at www.aaptiv.com. Be sure to enter the promo code FEDANDFIT, one word, at checkout in your first 30 days or on the house. Welcome back to another episode of the Fed and Fit Podcast. I am really excited about today's episode. I am chatting with Shelly Cruder, also known as Michelle Cruder, who runs 2XL Premium Angus LLC. It is a grass-fed beef ranch up in Iowa. And to give you guys some backstory on how we invited Shelly onto the show today, Amber Link, who many of you already know, is a trusted member of my team. She's the project manager for the Fed and Fit Project. She attended Paleo FX uh, and acted as my proxy because I could not be there this year. And she got to meet Shelly, and she was really mm-hmm. impressed by their story, how they decided to go from more conventional ranching and farming to 100% grass-fed beef. And so she thought it'd be a really neat story to invite uh, her to come on the show, share a little bit about how they made that transition, what went into the decision process, and what day-to-day life really looks like for the guys. So welcome to the show, Shelly. I'm so excited to have you. I'm really glad to be here, Kathy. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. We had we really worked for this show today, so I'm especially excited about it. It was one of those I was trying to tell Shelly the very first time I ever signed up for a podcast. Um, I was being interviewed by my friend Liz Wolf, and we weren't close friends back then. But it took me a long time to figure out how to work Skype. But it just—I will always love that episode so much because I felt like we really earned it. <laughs> So anyways, I'm excited to chat with you today, and I'm excited for you to share your story with the Fed and Fit listeners. If you wouldn't mind, tell folks a little bit more about uh, who you are, what you do, and and how you really came to be in the business that you guys are in today. Okay. Uh, Actually, we moved to Iowa back in 2006. We were originally from Northwest Illinois, and we farmed conventionally there on my husband's uh, family farm that had been in the uh, family for over 100 years. And we uh, decided to uproot and come to Iowa. All of our children went to Iowa State University, and we wanted to be closer to them. And there was also a lot of... um, well, many reasons we decided to move to a larger farm in uh, southern Iowa. So we moved there in 2006, and we farmed conventionally 
um, until uh, 2013. And during that process, we were, it was a different type of soil than we were used to farming back in Illinois. And it was very highly erodible. It was uh, what you call a shrink well clay soil. It, the particulate matter is really, really fine. So it just, it washes away in heavy rain really easily. So we tried many things to try to conserve the topsoil and it nothing really worked to our liking. And so my husband had always enjoyed cattle, raising cattle, and we had raised cattle conventionally in the past back in Illinois, and he really wanted to get back in the cattle business. And this area of Iowa is also very suited for cattle ranching. It grows a lot of really good grass, and it also, uh, we decided to convert it back to grass because the whole the top soil. So back in 2013, we started the herd with about 25 cows that were actually my son-in-law and daughter's cattle, and they brought them down here to graze that summer. And now we have over uh, 130 cows and all of their offspring, which is, ends up being over 400 head of cattle on the ranch. And wow. we've converted converted the uh, 450 acres to all uh, grassland pastures, and they were originally all in uh, conventional row crops. So it's been a challenge <laughs> and uh, to uh, get it all converted over, but uh, it's been very rewarding, and we, we have really uh, enjoyed the process and then watching how much improvement we've had in soil quality, water quality, and uh, we no longer have our our topsoil running into the creeks and ponds anymore. So <laughs> it's actually holding it. So so it's been really good. Our my my daughter and son in law are actually uh, veterinarians at Iowa State University, and they are part owners in the business with us. And they take care of all of the uh, what I want to say health of the cattle and all of the breeding and. Um, all of that stuff. So they're very beneficial part of the business. They come down about once a month on a weekend and they we do all of our herd health things like vaccinations and um, preg checking and all of that when they're here. So um, yeah and right now what's going on on the farm is um, a lot of people ask us what we feed our cows in the wintertime and what we do is we actually chop the pastures what that they eat in the summer and we chop them up we make basically mow it down like for hay and then we chop the pastures and put it into what they call a silo bag it's a big white long bag and that silage is actually fermented um hay and uh, grasses and stuff and then that's what the cattle eat in the wintertime so right now, that's what my my husband's out doing that right now. They've got the choppers and all the wagons out there, um, and they're putting that into the into the bag for winter feed. Wow, that's fascinating. I had no idea. So it, this sounds like a pretty big operation. Is it just you and your husband that are there day to day, or do you guys also have additional help? Uh, we do have one herdsman. His name is Bob Erickson, and he grew up in this area raising cattle his his dad had a cattle ranch and we were lucky enough to have him come work for us a year ago and so he's been with us since then and he's he uh, he really has helped us a lot because now that we're into the marketing phase of the business we need to have some time to do that mm -hmm. and so he's when like when we were at paleo fx 
he was back taking care of the cattle when we were gone. So he's there on daily day day to day basis. And then we also have uh, a gal. Her name is Jody Fenley, and she is our social media marketing director. She helps with all of our postings and um, and also with marketing. And she works uh, from her home, and we we do that remotely. She's about an hour away from us, but. Uh, she does a really good job. She worked on our website and she um, does everything with our online shopping and everything. She keeps track of all that for us. Oh, that's nice. I get that. Sometimes you get so busy thinking and doing, it's hard to remember to sell too. <laughs> Find well, time yeah, for it. And right. And we had that at first. It was okay because we didn't have any um, beef that was ready to go for the first few years. It takes about two years from birth to um, to market. So we had some time there, you know, during the transition phase to get everything in place and everything. And then once we got into the marketing phase, then we realized we needed, we needed more help. So she's been a great asset to us. That's wonderful. So how big of a space do you have for these, you know, 130 to now 400 heads of cattle? Um, about 450 acres of ground, actually. So it's about an acre per cow. Got it. Is what it ends up. Mm-hmm. Got it. And is that is that a typical ratio for ranching, grass-fed beef ranching? <laughs> um, I I would say probably for grass, if you're going to do it grass-fed, but not it's not the average or norm for conventional uh, cattle raising. Does that make any sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense. And listeners here are probably relatively familiar with conventional uh, cattle raising, but if you don't mind, would you, would you mind doing a brief overview of the biggest differences between a conventional ranch and a true grass-fed beef ranch? Okay. Well, we have a lot of conventional cow-calf operators in our area. And most generally, most um, beef is raised on um, pastures, and it's just uh, basically grass pastures. And then once they are weaned from their their mothers, then they go into um, into a feedlot situation. So up, so we're 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 pretty similar in that regard. That up until weaning, um, you know, they're on pastures. But our pastures are, and what do I want to say? More of a salad mixture of alfalfa, clovers, and different cool and warm season grasses. So they're, uh, it's more of a, um, I want to say, balanced diet for the cattle. And then what we do is we rotational graze them every day. So we put them on a small, uh, we put them on a few acres every day, and then we move them every day so they get fresh pasture every day, which allows the uh, grass to come back and the soil to rest. And then they'll come back on that same pasture and say 30 days once the grass is going back up again and most conventional operations they don't do that they'll they'll put maybe uh, 30 cows on 100 acres and they just stay on that pasture all summer and it's just they they have they stay on that whole thing and then the grass the, the grass basically doesn't have time to um recover but, but uh, how do i want to say this recover between feedings so that's why they need more acres to grow um, the same amount of cattle. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that does make sense. 
Yeah. In- interesting. Yeah. And then what does yeah. it look and like? We... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and then what do those differences look like once summertime is over? Okay. Then um, when summertime is over, then they still, our cattle still have complete access to pasture and they will still graze throughout the winter. Um, we try to have um, what we call stockpile forages that they can graze on during the winter. But when the, in southern Iowa, we, we will have periods that the pastures are open and we have periods where that pastures are covered with snow and ice. And so then we have to supplement to feed them. And that's when we uh, scoop the feed out of those uh, silage bags and they get supplemented with that in wintertime. Got it. And then a conventional ranch would look a little different in terms of the feed, right? Yeah, well, they would be um, probably in a, I, I wouldn't say, I would say most of the cow calf pairs would probably still be out on pasture and they would supplement and feed them with hay. The big difference is what, what we call the finishers, the ones that are um, being fattened to finish. Mm-hmm. That's where the big difference is, where they will go into a feedlot and get uh, fed a mixture of um, basically anymore, they get fed a mixture of byproducts from the ethanol industry. They'll be fed uh, dried distiller's grain and glutens and things like that, as opposed to, and also some corn and other grains and other proteins, soy and other proteins, and probably some hay. But ours, when we're finished our cattle, the animals will stay out on pasture grazing they're, uh, up until they're, until they're finished. They never go to a feedlot. They're out on pasture the entire time. Got it. Very interesting. And um, I think you very lightly touched on this, but what caused you to decide to go 100% grass-fed versus maybe conventional with which you guys had had, your family had had experience in before? Um, it was interesting in the sense we we needed to do it for the farm's sake, for the ranch, mm-hmm. because we we wanted to leave it hand it down to the next generation um viable and sustainable and it just row crops conventional row crops was not sustainable on our farm in this area of the country now we're we're rolling hills and we do have a lot of we can have extreme temperatures we can have extreme rainfall so it was just a really a way for us to preserve the land that was one of the main reasons and then also we just really didn't like spraying everything, you know, artificial, you know, herbicides, pesticides, all of that stuff. It really made us worried that it was all just getting in the groundwater. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. We just didn't like like that idea. So with the way we do it now, the cattle, they eat everything and they eat the weeds and we don't have to spray and we don't have to you know, put um, insecticides, you know, we don't have to do any of that, none of that. So it's a much more natural, cleaner way to raise cattle. And it's also mimics the way the buffalo grazed on the plains back before we came and put fences up and <laughs> changed everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they would go to, go to a pasture graze 
and then and then they would come back to it later you know what i mean after it had rested mm-hmm. so it was more like a more of a natural the way mother nature intended it and also we didn't want to how do i want to say this when you feed grains to cattle it's not really what they're designed to eat they are designed to eat grasses that's how mother nature intended them mm-hmm. because the way their their stomachs and it's not really a stomach it's a rumen they are designed to digest grasses and when you give them too many grains it actually makes their body acidic and it can cause long-term health problems for them as well and when they are fed that way then it lends itself that they need to be have more antibiotics and growth hormones and things like that to make them grow better because they're it's actually stressing their bodies does that make any sense yeah, that makes perfect sense. So when when it comes to hormones and antibiotics, is that something that you've ever introduced into your cattle? Um, what we do is we never we never growth implant them. Um, we never feed any antibiotics. On an occasion, we will have an animal that needs to be treated with an antibiotic mm-hmm. um, for a, you know a temporary health issue. And then we go through all the necessary protocols and withdrawal periods and all of that for the cattle. But very rarely do they ever need anything like that. Just like a human being, you know, we wouldn't take preventative antibiotics, um, but we might if we had a a severe infection of some sort. So that makes perfect sense. Right. So we do, we we do treat them for that. Um, But in a lot of, in the conventional um, cattle industry, they, if they're like all confined into a feedlot situation, a lot of times that's when they have to be fed a continuous dose of antibiotics to prevent um, outbreaks of disease and to improve their growth rates and things like that. Got um, it. Where we don't, we don't, we don't do any of that. So interesting. So, you know, consumer-wise, most of the folks listening here are most likely not in the business of cattle ranching. We're more consumers and trying to just Uh get really good, healthy foods on the tables uh, for ourselves and for our families. And I know that that's something that a lot of folks struggle with is you know, going to the grocery store. And I think I've done an episode on it before, but just the, what grass fed really means and all the different ways we can, you know, how to sort through marketing and then what's true. And so if somebody, a question that I get a lot is, well, how do I find really good beef? And some folks will like to go to the grocery store and they'll see grass fed beef and then after some investigating, they find out that maybe some of those cows, like you were talking about uh, the finishing, those were actually finished on grains, but they could be labeled as grass fed in certain areas. And then going to a farmer's market, you know, really knowing the right questions to ask. So do you have any tips on some questions to ask when you're, when you're looking maybe at a rancher and you're trying to figure out if you can go in on a cow share? And I'm going to ask you in a little bit also about if you guys distribute, but if somebody is just trying to figure out how to best arm themselves, you know, we don't know what we don't know. If that makes any sense. We don't know the right questions to ask and, and aren't familiar with the system. So what would you say would be a couple good ones to keep in our back pocket if we're looking at maybe bringing some new proteins into our home? Okay. I would definitely ask if it's grass-fed and grass-finished. Mm-hmm. Because there are some grass-fed producers that, that don't believe they can finish cattle on grass. 
and you definitely can do it. We've proven it, and we have very high quality, high marbling, and we finish them on high energy grasses, basically. Um, we, we'll actually plant like sorghum savanne grass and things like that that have a lot of carbohydrates in them. And so it'll do the same thing as grain. You know what I mean? They, they don't have to be finished on grain. So that's mm-hmm. one of the big things you want to make sure that it's grass-fed and grass-finished. And then also find out where it's coming from because um, a lot of grass-fed beef is sourced out of this country. Hmm. And a lot of it comes from, and I'm not saying that it's bad meat. I, I, I would have no way of knowing that, but if it's important for the consumer to have it be locally raised or at least raised in the United States and to know where it comes from that they look and see label like the, and and because we don't have label uh, or, you know, what I'm going to say country of origin labeling that they have to put it on there, but they usually have it. It'll say it'll either come from New Zealand or Australia or Uruguay or wherever, even Tanzania or whatever. Um, So in that regard, I'm not sure that that is what everyone would choose if they knew that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, if it's important to them that it comes from a rancher or, or a grass-fed beef farmer in the United States or either, either even closer to them even would be better. So um, that was, that's one of the main things that I, that I would ask. And also, like with our cattle, we can trace everything that happened to that cattle from conception to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, we keep track of everything that ever happens to the cattle. We have, we have their ear tag numbers and anything that's ever happened to them and what they were fed and everything. So, and if you're sourcing from another country or even from a co-op of growers, that's different than if you know, you know what I'm saying? Exactly where that, cattle came from what farm they came from and what what number they were mm-hmm. so that that gives me some comfort I would I, mean, I would think maybe a lot of people would appreciate that knowing you know where they're coming from that's great I think that's great information and I agree you know if, if it's if it's important to folks to that their the food that they're putting on their table has a smaller carbon footprint then going local mm-hmm. is definitely the way to go. Um, and that's the advantage of you know, going to your farmer's market, getting to know a local rancher, just like you're saying, and uh, if that's mm-hmm. important to somebody. And it's interesting. Have you found that in the United States, um, from what I understand, you guys are just doing a fabulous job, but uh, is there, I would, I would think that there's a pretty high demand for the beef that you guys are working really hard and very diligently to produce. Do you find that uh, there are a lot of other ranchers out there that are doing it as truly as you are? There's a lot of difference in how grass-fed beef is raised as far as um, the genetics of the cattle. Mm-hmm. We've chosen black Angus, you know, black Angus genetics because it's predictable, and we've chosen our bulls that are high, high marbling and um, tenderness and for growth. So there's a lot of different breeds out there. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say one's better than the other, but we've been very happy with our results with our um, Angus cattle, black Angus cattle. 
And then also a lot of difference will be will be seen in the type of grasses and forages that they are fed. And they if if somebody just throws their a few cows out on grass and never check them all year and it's not a good balanced diet, the meat will taste differently. So mm -hmm. there is a big variation in the quality of grass fed and the flavor and tenderness of grass fed. That makes a lot of sense. We, we, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I that that's the only thing I that's another thing for having people, you know, I would be like some people we sell we sell quarters of beef, you know, we sell online, we, we do the whole range of, of marketing. Um, but I do recommend to anybody to if before you buy a quarter of beef some from someone that you try some of the cuts prior to that to make sure that you like the flavor of their beef and the quality of their beef. That's a great tip. You know, I, uh, I married a man who grew up on, you know, with ranches and sections of land and all of that good stuff from out in goodness. What is it? West Texas area. And the land out there is pretty dry. You know, it's covered with mesquite. And they, the yep. running joke in that family is that grass-fed beef is extremely tough. That's no good beef, you know, and that's the, that's the joke out there. But to your point, the grass-fed beef that they are, quote, raising is exactly what you just described. They're putting these cows out there, and of course they go and check on them, you know, on occasion. But they're not rotated strategically through different fields and making sure that they're getting a variety of salad like you referred to earlier um, and then making sure during the winter time that they're supplemented with really high quality high energy I think you called it type of uh, grasses that have been harvested earlier in the year so I think that's a really interesting point because that's a misnomer that's out there is that grass-fed beef is really tough and not flavorful and I have not had that experience especially when I'm sourcing from a reliable uh, a ranch, rancher or um, cattle raiser such as yourself. So that's wonderful. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and then I would love it if you would tell folks just a little bit. I know that you do distribute. Do you distribute nationally or are you just local right now? Actually, we, um, we sell locally at the Des Moines Farmer's Market. If anybody's in that area, we, um, the Des Moines Farmer's Market is one of the best farmer's markets in the country. They have over 300 vendors, and we're there every weekend on Saturdays. Um, and then we also have an online store on our website, and we ship um, nationwide to the continental United States. Wonderful. That's really great news. And Shelly, I will go ahead and link up to your online store in the show notes so folks can easily find and click on it. But this has been really, really fascinating. And I, what I love the most about oh, I'm a question. I'd be remiss if I didn't remember to ask you this. The fact that the land healed itself so much and the fact that your erosion essentially halted and, uh, and really repaired after you started the grass-fed cattle initiatives, did that surprise you and how quickly the land bounced back in terms of soil and water quality? Or was that expected? Well, we thought it would improve, but I, I really didn't know that it would improve that much. And it also, the, the biggest thing that, that, that was so um, wonderful to me was, you know, the, your, how do you want to say it, your, the, the minerals and vitamins and everything that are in those grasses that the cattle are eating, the, the healthier the soil is, the healthier the plants are 
just like we are if we eat good you know organic vegetables that are that are grown on really good healthy dirt you know so mm-hmm. that's that's the the big thing that that I'm excited about and then also what what we found that improved so much that this was what I really didn't think about but what happened was the improved biodiversity of the farm hmm. and by that I mean like okay you can dig up like our soil because it's a shrink swell clay the word clay is is like the key word there it gets really hard and it can uh, basically get so hard on top that the water just washes off if it gets too hard. So when we when we planted it all to the pastures, what it did was it improved the microbials in the soil, meaning the funguses and the earthworms and different critters living in the soil, and also all of the the wonderful roots that went down breaks up that soil. So now the soil is really mellow and it's not hard. It, it's it's just really easy to work with. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then we found that we have so much more diversity in the different animals that are living on the farm, the birds, the insects. Um, we actually had, when we first started this, we had a couple of swarms of bees that came to the farm. And um, now I actually keep I'm a beekeeper now because so many came, I put them in boxes Mm. and now I have, I raise honey because we constantly have flowering pastures all summer and the bees have been, have actually been attracted to, to the farm, to the ranch. I think because of that, and you can just smell the clover out there. So Mm. now I actually have swarms that come every summer new ones that just keep coming and then uh, my bees are extremely extremely healthy because they don't have to contend with sprays or um, the mono like when you want when when you grow corn and beans it's a monoculture mm-hmm. it's not a diverse different grasses and and flowering plants because alfalfa and clovers birds with trefoil all of those flower all summer so they have a constant forage source and one of the main reasons bees are in trouble in this country is because we've gone to monoculture agriculture and there is nothing on a corn plant that a bee can forage on. Mm. And then all of the sprays they put on it and the insecticides and stuff that I had one beekeeper tell me that there's enough insecticide on one kernel of treated corn to kill a whole hive. Oh my goodness. So um, that was the one thing that was, has been a really, I would say a blessing to us is, that it's it got me into beekeeping and it's really opened my eyes to the effects of chemicals on the other species that we need in this world to keep everything going, you know, mm-hmm. in balance. So, so that was that's one of the main things we, that I was not really I was not anticipating becoming a beekeeper when I started this. <laughs> I really wasn't, you know, but they're they're doing fantastic and. Um, I've really enjoyed it. It's a whole nother, you know, another another area of farming, basically. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is so fabulous. It sounds like such a fairy tale, and I love it. It just kind of plays into the concept that so many listeners here really understand is that there's no isolated incident, right? No man is an island, and no practice 
is isolated. Um, and it's just so interesting how you brought the land back to life. It's just sounds like it's thriving in so many different areas and so many different types of ecosystems. So that is just so exciting. And I, now I want to schedule a trip to the Des Moines farmer's market so I can come and meet you guys and well, try to well, see if you've do, got any honey. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, yeah, we would love to have you come to the farm. I mean, we love to, we love to show it to people just so that, I don't know, we're, we love it so much and we feel like it's an oasis of green, you know, and an oasis of, I don't know, clean, healthy soil and water and, you know, all of that, that it, we, we'd love it to um, grow further, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, to be able to, um, you know, touch other people with it or whatever. So, no, we love to have visitors. We actually have we have several farm visits of people like yourself that are coming this summer just to um, get the tour and get the experience of it. So that's wonderful. Well, I'm just so thrilled for you guys. And you started this whole thing in 2013, you said, right? Yes, that's when we started. And actually, how we started was kind of funny in a way. My husband had thought about about raising goats. You know, <laughs> so we went to Texas and to the San Angelo area, which is... Um, That's where my husband's goes. from. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah well, we know the San Angelo area, yeah. And uh, we decided that um, Texas is much more suited for goat production than Southern <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> so when we saw what they were grazing on and climbing trees to uh, nibble the branches, I thought it was fantastic. I loved it. But our, our you know, it was a trip that we took and it actually pointed us more toward cattle than, than goats. But, uh, but, and then I, I have a couple of brothers that live down in Bernie, Texas. So we went to visit them as well. Because I actually lived in Texas when I was a kid. We lived in the San Antonio and Bernie area. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, we have so many connections because that's where I live now. <laughs> in, so, in Bernie? I'm in San Antonio, but we're near Bernie. We're kind of on the outskirts. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, we actually stopped and saw my brothers when um, when we went to the paleo show because they they're still living in Bernie, so it's a nice little trip. Got and it. it's so nice; it was so much greener than the last time we were there, which is nice to see. It is. It's been really lovely here. Uh, the the amount of rain we've gotten has been really great. I have just a very humble backyard garden, and it has really loved this year. So this is just so exciting, and I'm really I'm in awe. <laughs> that you started this in 2013. So in less than four years, you've really been able to heal the land and bring it back. It just gives me so much hope and so many warm fuzzies. And I'm just so excited that you guys are doing what you're doing. And Shelly, thank you. I'm really honored that you took the time to come on the show today and share what you guys are up to. Well, good. well I really appreciate you having me on. I really, I like telling our story. It's a, it's a wonderful story. It's very encouraging. And I'm telling you, I have half a mind to come up there to <laughs> Iowa now. So I'm, I'm very excited and I will continue to support you guys. Uh, do you want to tell folks where they can find you online really quickly? And then I'll be sure to recap that in the show notes. Okay. Our website is uh, 2XL. It's the number two and then XL premiumangus.com. Easy enough. 
I like it. And I, like I said, I will go ahead and link up to all of this stuff in the show notes. The show notes, of course, is where we have the complete transcript for today's show. So if you missed something or you wanted to take notes, you can go back and refer to that. Those can be found over at fedandfit.com. Thank you again, Shelly, for coming on. This has been a true pleasure, a highlight of the week. I learned a lot and I'm very encouraged. And, and to everybody else who dialed in to listen, thank you so much for dialing in. Uh, we will be back again next week. 